Welcome to the Reckoning Podcast, where we stoke a campfire, gather around, and have real-life conversations with old friends, new friends, professionals, and just shoot the shit. Reckoning all things from hunting, outdoors, beauty, entrepreneurship, relationships, life, and more. It's all just a reckoning. Hey, welcome back. I am seriously so damn excited for this episode and the guests that came on when I thought about going into reckoning and what I wanted to bring to you in the future. This guest was one of my number one picks. I have Jeremiah. He is a wild game chef from Southern California. His passion from the outdoors started at a very young age, but his love for it started many years later. In this episode, we discuss how in 2010, he had a realization that brought him into the large mammal hunting world and how he harvested his first antelope in 2011 and why. He quickly found out through that that it was much harder than he had thought and he struggled to find people to help him and shape him within the industry. He struggled to make the meat taste good, as a lot of us know or have that preconceived notion with antelope, and he was trying to butcher and hunt it And then after the understanding of the basics of wild game meat, he quickly found himself as one of the guys people looked up to for simple and easy wild game recipes. I know I always do. In 2016, he founded From Filled to Plate. Many of you are like, oh yeah, I know this guy. It was founded as a tool for others to use and learn from. He did not have anyone there to help him when he first started in the outdoors and did not want anyone else to have that struggle. So he founded this blog with stories and recipes. And then in 2017, he started a hands-on four-day hunting, butcher, and cooking school in South Texas. The classes have been mentioned in Outdoor Life, NWTF, Mossy Oak, and other magazines. He has since taken over 300 new and veteran hunters into the field and kitchen. He has evolved his business into a thriving social media outlet, passion projects, recipes, and soon he's launching his first cookbook. His passion for the outdoors grows every day and he can't wait to change the hunting industry with a fork and a knife. I am seriously so stoked for you guys to listen to this. We discuss all of those things, how he started, what brought him into it, I also ask for tips and tricks for all of us that butcher our own meat and process it, what recipes he would recommend for those just starting out cooking with wild game. And also we discussed, you know, just being parents and raising our kids in the outdoors. He specifically has daughters that he's raising. We have really great conversations in regards to taking kids and new hunters, whether they're kids or adults out. Jeremiah is such a cool dude and I feel honored and so grateful that he was willing to sit around the campfire with me and shoot the shit. I could have talked to him forever. So let's get into it. The essence of this is hanging around the campfire and shooting the shit with your friends, just getting to know the random person that comes into camp, because as you know, probably some of the best conversations happen around the campfire. So if you're hanging around the campfire, what is something that you'd be sipping on, snacking on? What's like your go-to? Do you have a go-to? Uh, well, I don't drink. And so it's always fun because I'm always sitting around there and watching people drink. And it's <laughs> the sober guy in the party that is like laughing hysterically at people. Yeah. Uh, but I'm usually the guy who brings the candy. Oh, um, nice. Sitting in the deer blind, sitting in the turkey blind, duck blind, or around the fire. It's like, hey, who wants Skittles or who wants Reese's Pieces? And everyone's like, what? Uh, but I would say gummy bears, usually. Gummy bears? Oh, That's your go-to. Out, bust out gummy bears. That's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. My kids just went out with my husband to put up his um, friend's antelope blind yesterday. And the boys came back and his buddy had bought him a couple big bags of gummy bears. And they were like, mom, 
these are the bomb.com. You got to try these gummy bears. So I think that's going to be their no new go-to when we go hunting is a bag full of gummy bears. Well, the thing is, too, especially when you're doing a lot of Western hunts and you're hiking and you need that mm -hmm. sugar boost. Yeah. No matter how hot you are or cold you are, like even when they're hot, they melt into like one super ball yeah. of gummies. And so you can pop that in your mouth and like suck on it and chew on it and get that sugar rush that you need to like get up the, the mountain. Yeah. Um, or when you're sitting in the car and you're exhausted and you pop one in, just kind of get that. I mean, guys are always eating jerky sticks, which is awesome, making all that. But I don't know. You pull the gummy bears and even like the guy who's a CrossFit star drinking Mountain Ops is like, well, I'll take a handful of those. Yeah. So I think they're just, that's the go-to. They are. It's true. It's good to just kind of munch on. And it takes a minute. You, it gives you something to do. Yeah. How did you get introduced to the outdoors? Uh, I was born and raised. I mean, even though I'm a Southern California kid, I mean, you uh -huh. see the wall behind me. Yeah. Um, I was born and raised on the beach. And okay. So in junior high and high school was that surfer kid out there surfing and fishing. Uh, mornings be surfing, afternoons be fishing. Um, and then every September, my family would go dove hunting from I was this big till now. I mean, I've never missed a September 1st since I was six years old. Mm. And... Uh, even I have, you know, even all these big hunts, I've got caribou hunts and everything else planned. It's like, okay, we can't leave until the fourth because one, two, and three, I'm, I'm shooting dove and blight. And, uh, and so that's just kind of how it started was getting your license and hunting dove. Southern California, it's all upland game birds um, is your primary hunting. Uh, you've got deer, but it's really hard to get. Um, mm -hmm. But you've got, we've got dove, quail, chucker, pheasant. We got three types of quail. We have our valley, our gambles, and our mountain quail. So you can get the grand slam of you know, quail in a day. And so really growing up being a bird hunter is still my passion. If it flies, it dies. And no matter how many deer I shoot, someone says, Hey, you want to go shoot upland birds? I'm like, yeah, let's go. That's uh, your thing. So that's, I mean, it's just, it's fun. It's, it's again, as you said, hanging around the campfire and chatting when you're walking with the dogs or sitting in a blind, the conversations that happen over a dead bird is way more impactful than sitting in a blind and trying to shoot this guy because you're quiet, you're stealthy, you're drawing yeah. back your bow and you know, you can kind of just have a lot more interaction and fun with it. That's true. I've, I've never thought of it like that. Cause a lot of times when, for me being in Utah, when I think of bird hunting, I think of freezing. <laughs> That's yeah. always been my thing is it's always been freaking cold. You're hiking around, but it is true. There's been some really great experiences where it is just, you know, sitting in the blinds talking. And that's always what my husband and I have said, even just with turkey hunting with the kids. I think that's a great way to start kids into hunting is birds for that reason, because it is a little more, you can have the conversations you need to have with your kids about hunting and just life in general, because you're not having to be so stealthy. Yeah. And, you know, and when the, and giving them a box call to just yeah. rack on, I remember we were out uh, with my daughter and she was just hammering. I'm like, gosh, you sound like crap, you know, just, <laughs> rah, 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 yeah. scratching. And also when from the distance we hear, and I went, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And she was just going and this big old Tom just comes strutting in. He didn't care. He just wanted to fight. And so he heard just this racket going on and he was thinking there was two birds going at it and fighting. And he came over, I mean, not puffed up. He came out with his wings dragged, drumming, you know, stomping. He was looking to fight and we shot that turkey. And I remember going, well, I guess it, I guess it really doesn't matter. But to, in her mind, she was the best caller ever. And you know, I, guess. Told, oh, I called in. him that turkey. And I was like, she did like. <laughs> And I've sat there with some guys who, you know, have won NWTF competitions mm -hmm. and they haven't called birds in as well as, you know, a six-year-old with a box call. So that's awesome. Good for her. What good bragging rights she has with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I still shot it. So I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but she called it in for daddy. She, so she that's, called it in. She called that's it in. awesome. 
So was your first, I guess your hunting experience was your first hunting experience with birds then? Yep. Yeah. And then what got you into being a wild game chef? Back in 2008, found out I started getting really sick. I started developing um, allergies towards a lot of food. And, you know, that's right about that time that celiac disease was coming out and mm-hmm. gluten intolerance was going crazy. And so everyone's like, oh, you're just gluten intolerant. You're just, you just are dairy intolerant. You're whatever. I'm like, no, there's, so- I can eat a PB&J all day long and be completely fine. I can go and drink a gallon of milk and eat a, and, and drink a milkshake and be fine. There's something more underlying that's deeper here. And uh, so through tests and through studies and through dietary things, found out that I'm actually one of my, there's a whole laundry list of things that I'm allergic to. Mm-hmm. But the number one is bovine fat. So domesticated cattle. I can't eat beef. I can't eat beef fat. I can't eat anything that has touched beef fat. I can't, like, it gets me super, super sick. And so being someone who was born and raised eating steak and potatoes and beef and potatoes as a little Irish boy, and then at 17 years old getting in the restaurant industry, you know, working high-end steakhouses, managing uh, developing corporate programs and writing recipes and menus for, you know, burger joints and steakhouses and rib and rib shacks. All of a sudden, I couldn't eat anything that I was a part of, anything that I was developing, any any restaurant I was in. Mm-hmm. And so, for about a year and a half, it was just birds, you know, because I couldn't even eat uh, some pork because you didn't know where they were processed. You know, were they processing the same machines that you were grinding stuff? Or if you look at sausages. A lot of sausages are cut with beef fat. A lot of oils are derivative. They have the same enzyme within beef fat. So like sunflower seed oil. So you look at all these other things and it really thrusts me into this oh, crap. I can't eat anything and I can't do anything. And so I was just almost in this depression state. Um, just got married. We got married in 2007. So it was like a year into marriage. Sort of affecting marriage because as you know, you're married. You, you know. Yeah. All of a sudden, your spouse doesn't want to go out and do anything because they don't know what's going to trigger it or they don't mm-hmm. know. And so you're like, oh, you want to go to the fair? No, I'm not going to go to the fair because I'm going to walk on the fair and get sick. Yeah. And I'm going to go sit in the air-conditioned car while you have fun with your friends. So why don't you just go have fun with your friends? And uh, so started really researching and studying. And uh, one of the big things is wild game meat doesn't have the enzyme because it lacks the fat. It lacks this enzyme that develops through the hormone process, through the... Um, uh, finishing stage of whenever you take cattle and you finish it, uh, that's mm-hmm. where this enzyme develops this. Interesting. Um, and so, but I was a bird hunter. I had no idea what to do from the age six to 23 years old from September 1st through January, all I was doing was hunting birds. You know, mm-hmm. I have 40 different shotguns. If it's, you know, whatever season it is for duck, I have a shotgun that's going to go for, if they're flying away. If it's too windy, if it's cold, if it's right. Nice. And so all of a sudden I'm like, I have no idea what to do. So I was actually getting ready for fall turkey season, and uh, I was out at the archery range. And this old timer walks up, and he pulls out a camo bow. Well, being in Southern California down here in Surf City, USA, someone pulls out something that's camouflage that's not like Sitka, where it's like, oh look, I just wear it because I want the brand name on my thing. Right. You know, yeah. And still have you know they their truck is four feet off the ground and has never seen dirt, <laughs> and uh, and so we start chatting, and he was getting ready to go to Wyoming to hunt antelope. I was like, man, I would love to hunt out of state because here in our states, it's so hard, but it's just, it's not affordable. You know, Mm -hmm. if I go hunt in Utah, which is great, a mule deer tag's like 800 bucks for a non-res. And it's like, you can't just go shoot a muley, you know, to get 120 pounds of meat. It's, 
you're, you're looking at four something pound. And anyway, me from my restaurant background, I'm like, no, you know, yeah, doesn't and, matter. and he goes, a doe tag in Wyoming for a non-resident is 38 bucks tag and license. And I went, mm, you're a liar. He's like, no, I swear to you. So I literally put my bow back in the case. I drove home, went on Wyoming, you know, fishing game. And there's a whole laundry list of leftover license. $38 for a tag and a license for non-res. And you, at, at that time, you can get four doe tags. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my gosh, for 200 bucks, I can get four tags. Wyoming is 11 and a half hours away from where I live. Screw it. I'm going to go do it. So I talked to a buddy and I was like, hey, you want to go hunt antelope? <clears throat> He's a fireman. He has he didn't know what he was doing either. He had gone out deer hanging with his dad like two or three times. But, you know, again, just as, as our wives call it, we go play hide and go seek with the animals. <laughs> Yeah. Or we go on, or, or we go on hikes with guns, and uh, <laughs> so we went out to Wyoming. I mean, I bought a over-the-counter, brand new, you know, Thompson Center at the time because it was a, it was the very first year Thompson Center came out with their guns. It's a Smith and Wesson company, but I think it was like 125 bucks for a 30 out six, which now they're like 700 dollars. And I bought a cheap Bushnell scope at Walmart because so I'm like, whatever scope's a scope, right? Mm. A three by nine by by four. We get out there, we hunted for a week, and it was the hardest hunt of my entire life, to, still to this day, because you don't know what you're doing. So you're yeah. walking over planes, like, oh, there's an antelope. Oh, look, they see us. Oh, look, they took off. Oh, yeah. look, we hiked. Oh, look, they took off. It's like, what? Why can't we shoot these things? And then the very last day, I ended up shooting my first antelope. And uh, again, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I pull out a pocket knife that I got when I was 13, like a little Swiss Army one. You know, the one that has like the toothpick and the tweezers yeah. and the <laughs> a little cork- red one. Yeah, the corkscrew for the, to take off your wine and whatever else that goes on there. And I'm trying to gut this animal with that knife. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like, I'll take birds all day long because this, yeah. I'm freezing cold. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out in the middle, of, you know, I'm 12 miles from the car. I don't know how to break this thing down. This is really mm-hmm. before YouTube was a thing or social media was even a thing. Uh, I think Facebook had just started. It was like, you know, 2007 Facebook started. So it's still, you could have been like, there was no community group and got it, took it to a butcher. Cause again, no idea what I'm doing. Butcher gives us back the meat. We get home and I hate it. It's the worst tasting meat. I mean, it's just disgusting. It tastes like you're sucking on a sage brand. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that was all this time, all this effort, all this money for crap. Right. But that old saying grew up, you know, if you kill it, you eat it from mm-hmm. my dad. And so it's like, I got to figure out how to do this. Jeremiah, you work in a restaurant, you, you, you love food, you develop food, you, you know, figure this out. And so I started talking to sommeliers at work and say, how do you pair wine with meats? You know, what, oh, we're looking for these special nose, looking for these flavors. And so I'm like, okay, well, what pairs well with this drastic impact of sage? Okay. So Asian influence, go figure is the best pairing for sage flavor where well, you would think it'd be more savory. Like, yeah. Oh, I want to add some poultry seasonings. I want to make more things, which it's going to enhance it. It's going to ex- it's going to exaggerate that flavor. Where yeah. soy's, gingers, garlics, turmeric's, all those are actually neutralizers in a sense, where they're going to mm. balance that flavor instead of impact it. And so I was like, all right, fine. So I created a couple Asian dishes, and my my family and my or my wife and my one year old daughter were going crazy over it. I'm like, okay, there's something to this thing. And so I posted on social media and people were like, oh my gosh, we hate antelope. And I'm like, everyone hates antelope. Yeah, everyone, everyone hates antelope. Well, you know, so then that kind of, as a corporate developing training manager, which I was, mm-hmm. how do I take what everyone hates and how do I make it better? How, yeah. I used to look at restaurants. I would go into restaurants. How can I make, make this restaurant better? 
sales are down, servers are bad, whatever. How can I fix the little things to make everyone go, oh, yeah, that's cool. And so I kind of just thrust myself into making antelope taste good and understanding the process of it and then deciding, well, I'm not going to take it back to a butcher because I started researching and it says butchers are 80% because of negative flavor meat because you're not getting your meat back or laundry list of stuff. Now, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. Amazing butchers. I'm friends with a lot of them. When you get a one-on-one -on -one butcher, mm -hmm. incredible. Go to Wyoming, second day of antelope season. Go to a butcher house and see 75 antelope hanging outside in the sun. Yep. Yeah. That's the ones I'm talking about. Not the guy in Tennessee that your family's been going to forever. And you pull up there and he knows your name or he comes picks it up at your house and it's 20 degrees outside. I'm talking about 90 degree Wyoming, Utah. As you understand, you're from Utah. Yeah. You understand? In the middle of the end of September, October, you're still in this 80s, 90s degrees during the day yeah. and drop down to 60s at night. You throw that thing in the back of your truck. And it's oh, yeah. Ugh. So That's always antelope. what we say with antelope is my husband's like, I think a large part of it is the field care and 100%. getting it on ice as soon as possible, especially with antelope, because yep. like you said, we're driving in the heat. You stop by to show your friend, that kind of thing. And it's just goes down the hill from there and then if you take it to a butcher yeah and we have a rule i mean as soon as an antelope drops it gets gutted there's oh yeah i mean tag gets filled out notched tags on the leg on the ear on the on the horn whatever it's got to be and then that antelope's gutted and it's cracked open and mm -hmm. and you we were in buffalo wyoming two years ago and we're sitting in this little diner right but we're walking past the diner and in the back of the truck is two bucks ungutted 87 degrees outside oh sitting there boop just big old racks right uh, and i'm like oh i was pissed and my like and i take new people to wyoming every year like this year i got four new guys going with me to hunt antelope right. and i'm like dude this is they're like oh and i'm like dude this is wrong I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna find out who this is because we're gonna fix the situation right so i walk in this little diner and there's these two old guys sitting there and one guy's like oh yeah this buck was awesome oh but and i was like you guys like to taste of antelope meat he's like nah it tastes like shit Pardon yeah french no you're good and i went what? I go, well, it tastes like shit because you've got two antelope that are ungutted in the back of your truck. When'd you shoot those? Oh, nine o'clock? It's eleven forty-five. I was like, Well, your your meat's spoiled. But ah, it's still good. It yeah. just tastes like crap. We'll make it into sausage and we'll give it to friends. I'm like, all of a sudden you're now gonna share this negative impact, this negative flavor mm -hmm. with people that are going down the line, and they're all gonna assume what well, I assumed and you assume and your husband assumes that antelope tastes like crap. Antelope is my top three favorite antelope or wild game meat now. Same because of how I handle it, how I treat it. People that are anti-wild game eat it. They're like, oh my gosh, what is this? I'm like, antelope. No, antelope tastes disgusting. Well, how did you prepare it? How was it cleaned? How was it field dressed? How was it hung? You know, there's really no aging process in antelope. It's it's get it cold, get it broken down, get it in the freezer as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. It's not like a deer like, oh, let it hang for two weeks. There's not even that much meat on antelope. So mm -hmm. Let that thing hang, you're going to lose, you know, a 60 pounds of meat is going to become 30 pounds of meat. Yeah. So that's kind of where it all started was an allergy and then kind of just the process of me wanting to do better. And all of a sudden I became this, this role, you know, this influencer and this idea of wild game eating that I didn't expect to do. Quit my job in the corporate industry, full-time, you know, wild game chef writing for, you know, I think I'm writing for seven different magazines, three TV shows right now. Um, awesome. And it's cool too, because when I first started posting heart pictures, everyone made fun of me. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, now you, during hunting season, every single person's holding a freaking heart. And yeah. they're all eating hearts and they're all smoking heart. 
there's people that yelled and screamed at me who are now like, oh, heart's my favorite favorite thing I've been cooking for years. I'm like, I got a text from you last year saying you hated it. But you, you know. go do your social media. You go let it, you know, you let the world believe what you want to believe, you know, and doing fringed out racks. I mean, when I was doing fringed out racks, guys were making fun of me for leaving bones on it. And now butchers are being asked to do crowns, royal, you know, crowns and fringed out, boned out racks and T-bone steaks and all those other things that I was mocked for doing. But I just wanted this is what I do. I, I can't I can't go to the grocery store and buy meat like you. So I have to make it different. I don't just want a backstrap. I got to figure out how to make it real food for my family and not just have a steak every night, you know. And I, I relate to that a lot because not that I have the same allergies you do, but I have a lot of intolerance to food as well. I can't do potato or modified food starch. And as we know, that's a huge factor in keeping things fresh that right. are processed. And so as I've learned that, that's where I've really dove into, you know, I grew up hunting, I grew up doing the thing, but same. It's like once I had to like learn how to take care of my body so I could be well enough to be a mom or a wife or even right. be enjoyable to be around. That's kind of how I learned to do it too. And it, it does, it makes you realize for me, I'm like, you know what, if you can cook it with beef or anything else, I can use wild game. Right. And I get asked that a lot. Like people are like, Hey, I've got a bunch of ground elk. What do I do with it? Well, what are your favorite beef dishes? Oh, this, 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 this. And I was like, Oh, great. You know what you can make? This, yeah. this, 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 this. They're like, no, well, no, but I have elk. Red meat's red meat. If I put it in a package and hand it to you, now mind you, there's a little lack of fat. So you have to understand the overcooking or the adding some sort of fat, like an avocado oil versus mm -hmm. an olive oil because you got a higher fat content or even getting some sort of lard, so like a duck lard or a beef lard or whatever you want to, something that you can add to that is going to manipulate mm -hmm. that meat and make it better. Like me, I mm -hmm. add zero fats unless it's a sausage. Same. Um, even burgers, it's just 100% antelope, 100% mm -hmm. venison. 100. And once you understand that meat is meat, the world, go on Pinterest, type in ground meat recipes, pull up a list of things, and you're going to be like, I can cook that, I can cook that, I can cook that. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And so I think once, like on Pinterest, some of my pins have, you know, a million pins. And I mean, I have plaques from Pinterest. Congratulations on a million pins. You go back and look, it's 98% women mm -hmm. that are pinning this stuff. And so I've reached out to a bunch of them like, hey, they're like, oh, my husband brings back blank and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm sick of making poppers. I'm sick of making chili. I'm sick of making spaghetti, which has actually been huge because we've seen this influx of females in the industry because of them cooking better and bigger food for their families. Mm -hmm. And now they're understanding that the flavor is there. It is healthier for their family. So now they want to go out and get licensed and tags. I've had a lot of guys get very upset at me because hunting was their thing. Hunting was hunting camp was their thing. Mm -hmm. Going out and doing this was their thing. And now their wife wants to tag along. And it's like, oh, because you came out with seven recipes and we don't have enough deer. So she wants us to go get two more deer. The only way to get two more deer is if she goes out hunting. And, and I'm like, wake your freaking mind up, dude. Yeah. Your wife wants to spend time with you. And... Who cares if she suits a bigger buck? That's more food for your family. That's a better right. experience for the both of you. And like my wife, she absolutely has no desire to hunt. She does yeah. have nothing wrong with it, but she's like, no, that's your deal. Yeah. I'm going to go sit on the, I'm going to go sit in the, in the camper. I'm going to read my book. You bring it home. The girls are out there doing stuff. She'll sit out there and talk with us, you know, but she has zero desire. I go, if my wife had a desire, I think we would never be home because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the spending I do would become like, well, hey, let's go, let's go shoot caribou together. Oh yeah, <laughs> now can, you know, now we can spend two grand versus me going. I'm gonna go shoot caribou. She's like, oh, now I, I see my husband's mindset. I'm seeing right. that. 
yeah, you're not going to Alaska without me. And I'll be like, hey, you want to go to Alaska? Like, yeah. Let's go. That's a great you idea. Know? I mean, we're going to, we, we go to Hawaii and I shoot axes. She sits on the beach and drinks Mai Tais. I mean, it is the perfect, perfect combination. Now she goes home with a lot of animals because, you know, I'm like, hey, guess what? We shot seven. So you got these you're taking home and you got these you're taking home. We, yeah. I bring friends on Southwest, pay for their flights just so I get two extra bags to take. There you go. Home more meat. So, but yeah, I think that's. That's a big thing with it, you know? I think so many people, and I hear that way too often, and it's something that I try and encourage other people is that, you know, their spouse or their family members hunt and they just have the meat sitting in their freezer. So there was a, you know, a year where we didn't draw out and things were tight and we had friends. I mean, it worked out in our advantage. We just have this meat sitting in the freezer. You guys might as well use it. But part of me is like, why aren't you guys (laughs) utilizing it? But it's because... So many people say, and I know you hate this word gamey, but right. that's what people associate with wild game is that flavor. And I think that's awesome that, you know, you have those pins out there and women are able to find that or whomever to be able to do something with that, that it's becoming more accessible and they're realizing that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that, that I always get in a fight with the word gamey. You probably heard me say it a million times, but mm-hmm. and you'll hear a lot more of the wild game chefs telling you like, that's not a word because of the fact that how I explain it is gamey has a negative right. connotation. It's a mm-hmm. negative word. So automatically, if you tell someone like, oh, what does deer taste? Oh, it's a little gamey. You're automatically telling them that it tastes like crap because yeah. they've heard that word over and over again. If you it's replace like, gamey with earthy, sagey, mm-hmm. nutty, you know, you, you replace that gamey flavor because you can't have a gamey goose and a deer and an elk and a pheasant. Right. They all can't taste gamey. Gamey's not a flavor. Mm-hmm. Gamey is a negative word. So if we take the negative word out, all of a sudden you open up these doors where I sit and I tell people, so waterfowl hunting, there's this game bird called a coot mm-hmm. or a mud hen or, you know, however you want to call it. And it's a black bird that dives down and eats the mud. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting, right? A yeah. lot of people don't, a lot of people don't like to eat it. Well, it has a very fishy, muddy flavor. So how can we take that disgusting, nasty bird and make it something people want to eat and actually people want to pursue and, and do? Again, you look at what culinary flavors have very muddy, fishy type flavors. And you go for Cajun style cooking. You go for Asian cooking. The Asians down here in Southern California will go out and shoot 25 coot and not even shoot a duck because they love that fishy flavor because all their food has a fish sauce in it. It's got all this. And so a flavor that you and I don't like, another culture is obsessed with because it reminds them of what they grew up with. And they're working with the flavor versus against it. And so, I mean, I went out and shot a bunch and we made sausages and we made gumbos and people are eating like, oh, this is so awesome. What is it? I'm like, oh, it's all those coot we shot. They're like, no, it's not. Right. But you took out, you took out that negative thing. You took out Mm -hmm. that, that, as I call it, the Western you factor. Like Westerners were like, you gross heart, you gross, whatever. Once you take that out and food is food and meat is meat, there's this balance that comes in. We were at the river two weeks ago, and I did this whole smorgasbord of food for a bunch of people that never tried wild game. We did fried gator, we did catfish, we did dove, we did quail, antelope, pheasant. And I started putting stuff out. They're like, well, tell me what it is. Like, nope, just enjoy it. Like, oh, this is, oh, that's alligator. And Lindy's like, I don't like alligator. I'm like, you had 12 pieces. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where it is. Is all There's this mindset that Disney's put into us that this animal is sweet and innocent. It's a bear. A bear's going to kill you if it has a chance. It's not going to mm-hmm. go doesn't have a brother and they're not a you know wild spirit and they're like oh don't kill me no they're gonna 
murder their own cubs so their wife goes back into estros so they can have more cubs because that's all they think about is sex and food. I mean, mm-hmm. Oh, and fighting, but <laughs> fighting. I, guess, I guess that goes in between each one of them. Yeah, it is. It probably, I know it brings me a lot of joy when somebody does eat something that is wild game and they don't realize it, like you're saying, and they're enjoying it. Does that, as a chef, is that something that brings you a lot of joy is watching people experience new things? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I said, the my favorite point of a meal is when mm-hmm. it's dead silent, because when it's quiet, everyone's mm-hmm. mouth's full. Yeah. If there's a lot of talking. There's you know kind of scratching. When everyone's quiet, it means that all the mouths are full, and you and all you hear is the mm, the ahs, the ooh, the or the you know dipping of more sauce, and you know, and and, and for me, it's taking it's taking those people like who have been hunting their entire life who has this preconceived notion is better than getting a new person into it. Because mm-hmm. um, a new person has, it's sort of like taking that baby for the first time and giving them something, right? Yeah. They're either gonna like it or they're not, but they have no preconceived notions. It's like, oh, this pea is good. Like my daughter, she loves peas until her cousin's like, ew, peas are gross. She's like, ew, mm. peas are gross, right? Yeah. Her cousin told her that they're disgusting. And so we're in Texas and hunting, hunting hogs, all these hog guys, and they're just taking the hogs and throwing them in the dump. Because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And I take the hogs and I'm throwing them in the truck. They're like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to make dinner tonight. They're like, we're not going to eat that crap. And then, uh, so I make dinner and all of a sudden you have all these hog guys who are like, crap, we've been throwing that crap away for how long? Right? All of a sudden you, you broke this ideology that they had that it tastes bad. Or mm-hmm. javelina. You know, go hunt javelina in the south with anyone from Arizona, Texas. They're going to tell you that javelina meat's the most disgusting thing ever. It's incredible. It is the most tender, flavorful meat that you can get you know, in that species, but they don't care because again, grandpa told them, grandpa told them, grandpa told them, well, grandpa was thrown it on a fire with no seasonings and didn't know, and didn't have proper knives to process it with, you know? And I think that's the hardest part is people get so caught up in the past that they don't want to advance to the future. Definitely. Like we're okay to advance with our technology in, uh, our archery equipment, our optics, our game trail cams, our gear that we're putting on our bodies to, better regulate heat as we're hiking but when it comes to cooking everyone wants to like nope it's got to be this way and it's for me it's how do i break that trend of saying like your grandpa's an awesome dude but he's freaking wrong yeah your dad might be an amazing guy but he overcooked all your steaks you know like i don't want to be that jerk but i've done so many people they're like oh this is how grandpa did it and i was like well grandpa also chewed tobacco and drank and died at 60 years old do you want to do the same thing they're like no i said then get over it yeah let's try it Grandpa's cooking, my, like my grandpa, phenomenal cook. He cannot cook dove to save his life, you know, or he couldn't. And he's passed, he's passed on, but he overcooked it. It was like eating charcoal. And I hated dove growing up as a kid. Now that I understand it, I'm cooking dove and I'm eating, you know, I can't shoot enough to, to eat enough. Same as everyone else around me. My grandpa was an amazing chef, but when it came to certain things, he sucked. And I, my aunt stopped talking to me because I said my grandpa sucked at cooking. You know, I, that, that's all she heard. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. I'm saying is that, remember, do you remember the dove and the deer that grandpa would cook? Yeah, it sucked. And she's like, well, no, he was an amazing. Oh, gosh. Right. But yeah. you get so caught up in that story. And I think even as, a, you know, for you as a mom, me as a dad, introducing our children to things without a preconceived notion mm-hmm. of like, even if my wife doesn't like, you know, I, I, I hate mustard, to be honest with you. But I'm not going to tell my kids that I hate mustard. I'm going to put mustard on and let them decide let them if they decide. like mustard or not. Yeah. But so often we're told, you, I've been around hunting camps and campfires, as you want to talk about, 
And someone's like, oh, we're going to go hunt deer tomorrow. Just so you guys know, deer's a little gamey. And deer, they've, now they've automatically put that into mm-hmm. that people's mind who are first-time hunters. And so when we can go in, I said, oh, my gosh, tonight with deer, I'm going to cook this, this, that. I've changed that narrative. And I've made the story about what we can do with it versus the disgusting things it's going to do to us. No, I love that. It's so true. And that's one of the biggest things, too, that's been important for my husband and I with our boys is the same thing with the antelope. My husband got a he got two doe antelope tags last year. First part of August, like hot as hell. And, you know, uh, same thing. We've had antelope tags in Montana. It's hot. You don't get it broke down in time, all that. So Cody's like, okay, it's going to be hot. I know this. We're far from home. What can we do to try and try and we're doing this for the meat like and we're obviously doing it so that we can you know help with the farmers out there that they're getting into all their crop so he's like i'm just two big huge things the coolers full of ice let's get it broke down as fast as we can sure enough him and i he gets two of them one after another and so we're each just working on an envelope getting it into the cooler as fast as possible and both him and I had had that notion of antelope, like you said, where it's just disgusting. Because that's all we've had is not well-processed antelope. That's just right. the way it is. But we didn't want to say anything towards our kids because now we have a freezer full of antelope and we're going to use it. And sure enough, it we smoke it and it's like dripping down our hands. And we don't even get it on a plate because the kids are just eating it straight off the Traeger. Right. And I'm so glad that we like allowed them to have that mindset to make their own decision and if one of them didn't like it then they didn't like it and that's fine yeah and i think that's the biggest thing especially like being a bird hunter you get so Mm -hmm. many different waterfowl right every duck tastes different if it's a merganser or if it's a mallard they're all going to have a different taste and so for my daughters it's not this is duck right because i think that's another negative thing it's like Mm -hmm. oh hey try this duck they're giving somebody a, a mud duck versus a wood duck right so, hey, this is a gadwall. This is a wood duck. This is a mallard. Because all of a sudden people go, like, ooh, I don't really like mallard, but I love wood duck, I love pintail, and I love gadwall. Right? So all of a sudden you let them understand it and they want to go hunting it. So it's not, hey, this is antelope. Hey, this is the antelope that I shot and I processed. And all of a sudden people are like, why does your antelope that you shot and you processed taste different than Bill's who yeah. shot in the same area, you know, and took it to Joe Schmo Butcher? Why does yours taste better? This is where that door opens up that you can start to tell them. And I think by us raising our kids that way, it's going to be so much better because they're already going to be aware of that. We were um, quail hunting and my my uh, 10-year-old, there was this guy walking by and he's like, oh, quail tastes gamey. But, and I, I was about ready to turn around and be like, what? Right? <laughs> yeah. And my, and my 10-year-old was like, oh, my gosh, have you ever had plucked quail stuffed with um, – <laughs> you know, black bean salsa, marinated in Cajun spice, and then grilled on, on the Traeger with hickory pellets. And the guy's like, yeah. well, no. She's like, well, that's why you don't like it. She grabs <laughs> her gun and walks away. And the guy looks at me and I go, I don't know. It sounds delicious. I guess I'm going to make it for dinner. Yeah. And this guy's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So how did you cook that? And she's like, yeah. oh, my dad always makes it. And then I give him a card. And so I think even that and our kids, they're starting to learn that it's not quail. Mm-hmm. It's how you prepare quail. It's not antelope. It's how you prepare antelope. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to get people back on, on track with is it's not an elk, it's meat. And how can really? we utilize that meat to better, you know, society, better ourselves, better our families. And, and ultimately look at the, the people who are anti us and say, okay, well, we're just doing it better. We're doing it old school where you think you are, but you're actually doing more harm than we are. Mm. 
And yeah. we get to experience it ourselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Think about how much joy someone has when they grow their own carrot, right? A 25-cent vegetable that takes them three months, four months to make. And they don't really do anything. They just water it. For us, we're out there getting how much more meat. And we take the same amount of time to prepare. We have that same joy as that vegan grabbing a carrot as we do. I mean, I got three freezers over here packed full of meat that friends are calling up. Hey, can I try alligator? Yeah, sure. It's in freezer number one. Grab as much as you want, right? And that builds up this rapport. Now I'm taking out people who have never thought about hunting before. They're like, well, I want, I want antelope. I'm like, well, come shoot one. No, it does. And I think after, for me too, last year, obviously through the craziness, I think there was a lot of comfort in when, I know for me too, when I walk into the grocery store last year and shit's hitting the fan and shelves are empty, there was a lot of comfort in knowing like, and even my sister told me, like, you know, if the apocalypse happens, like, we're coming with you guys because yeah, how many you, know, you guys can I live get? off oh the land. Gosh. I got, I got like 500 of those. I'm like, well, first, <laughs> I go, my, my truck only holds so many people. So the first yeah. people here. No, but like you were saying is I have these freezers full of meat. And so I was hearing families that were like, we can't get any meat. And so I was just filling up ice chests and dropping off on their doors. And they're like, well, I don't like game meat. I was like, well, starve or eat it. And next yeah. thing you know, the dad, I mean, this year. I'm taking out three dads of daughters that my daughters know mm-hmm. who have never hunted, never wanted to hunt it, have gotten their hunting license and going out hunting because the meat I dropped off last April. And wow. so you're trying to tell me that food doesn't have an impact. I think food has more of an impact on getting new people into our industry than a hot chick with a bow and arrow. For sure. I mean, people are going to follow her and she's going to get a lot of likes and oh my gosh, you're going to be awesome. But how many people are she actually, is she actually getting into this industry mm-hmm. where you can be a beautiful lady, be an amazing cook, show your family, show these different sides, and you're going to get those other moms in Utah. You're a little bit different. You're not like that weird mom who's driving a minivan yeah. and going to all the soccer games. You're taking your kids out and having a good, tell me more, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's where it kind of plays into it. It is. It's true. It's funny. One time we were out fishing, just, you know, random day fishing as family, not doing anything big or special, but I'm over there teaching Cooper how to put his hook on that's my oldest he's 10 show him how to put it on and how to get the worm on and just the basics of fishing and he looked at me and he's like you're not like other moms you're a different kind of mom and I was like that's like the coolest compliment I've ever got from my kid because I knew in that moment it was because I'm there with him and I'm teaching him literally like you know you feed a teach a man to fish so they'll take your fishing spot but that's a different yeah I mean that's (laughs) true (laughs) there's all kind I'm learning definitely that now he's he's getting into hunting and he's old enough mom's kind of getting the back seat but that's what it's been all about for the last 10 years you know so what's something like as we're teaching our kids and even just getting out of like you said the mentality of like the way grandpa used to do things what's something you see even just as you know you're in the middle of field care that's that people could be doing differently to help make sure that their meat is going to taste better or be in a better spot to eat it down the road. You always get those old sayings like, Oh, don't get hair on the meat. That's a lie. Um, you always get these things that say that an animal that, you know, has been running is going to be tougher and it's going to have more negative flavor that comes from the hemoglobins that comes from the blood. And so by bleeding out that animal, by allowing that, that muscle to rest, it's not going to impact it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've eaten an animal, you know, an antelope, as you know, sometimes you shoot them and they run 500 miles because they're just stupid. And then they just crash over dead. Yeah. That antelope can still taste as well as the dough that you headshot and she drops. Like, 
there's no you can figure that out but i think when it comes down to it for me it's all understanding the proper way to do something um and and doing it correctly and if you do somehow do a gut shot you know it happens i'm not going to say it doesn't we've all done it you mm-hmm. even even you make a perfect shot something in there that bullet ricochets wrong goes through pierces the diaphragm hits the liver hits whatever right the mistake a lot of people make is they take that knife that they were skinning with and still all funky and gutty and gross and they start to process the meat with that same knife so mm-hmm. now what are you doing is you're spreading that flavor that negative flavor that you don't want all over the meat they that that you do want so for me i have a skinner and a butcher right so i have one that i'm going to gut and skin with and i have one that i'm going to process and butcher down with and i mm-hmm. i think to me that's one of the biggest things is 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 that's the first one second of all is getting that animal taken care of as fast as possible even on the temperature like we're out rabbit hunting or whatever right and you have guys that just start throwing rabbits in their pack well you can gut that rabbit by just squeezing the rabbit like a banana and it, all the guts pop out it's the craziest thing in the world most guys don't believe me until they watch me <laughs> and now the guts are out of this animal it's cooling it's it's down for turkey you know you shoot a turkey but your husband's still waiting for a turkey you can right where right where its anus and everything is if you make a if you cut around that like you would if you were cutting out a deer yeah. sphincter or anything like that and then there's two little bones on each side of the pelvic bone you break those open you can stick your whole fist in there pull out all the guts and still have a perfectly good turkey that you can show up on your fan that you can pose that you can but guess what all those cool. guts are out of that turkey and you can clean it out and it's still this beautiful turkey you can hang it you can pluck it you can do whatever you want but now the guts are out and so when you start to look at field care and that and you're gonna get guys out there that's gonna tell you to do it all different but for me it's getting that animal cool as possible mm-hmm. keeping you know even if it gets dirty it gets dirty you can always wash it later and just don't i, I think don't be afraid to screw up because even if you puncture it so many guys are like don't puncture the stomach puncture the stomach get it out wash it out it's completely fine it's the guys that puncture the stomach don't wash it out throw it in the back of their truck let it sit for you know five hours as they drive home you know go to walmart has these blue jugs they're about yay big and they've got that little pop top that pops out yeah you know that you can wash the water fishing fishing area for water right that's five gallons of water i always have one on the back of my truck because guess what you get an animal back you can now put that animal's legs in the back of your truck so it's kind of angled face down you can run that through it and you can rinse that whole animal out with five gallons of slow running water yeah just like that and it costs you eight dollars to to get one of those blue things in the back of your truck it's it's a lifesaver and then now you can throw that animal back there and you can throw you don't have to break it all the way down take a nice you know big old bag of 20 pound ice shove it in that chest cavity throw it in the back of your truck and drive home it's clean it's getting cold you're now having to take that two drive two hour drive home without this meat just sitting there and i think that's your biggest biggest concern is handling with your knives in your hands mm-hmm. um, and that's why i don't wear gloves either because I think people okay. get so caught up in gloves yeah. that they forget. If I get my hands dirty, I can wash them real quick and get back mm-hmm. at it. Where a lot of guys, they think, oh, a glove on, hands dirty, I'll just keep pulling stuff. And they're not changing that glove out. If you get crap mm-hmm. all over your hand, you, you want to get the crap off your hand. Yeah. You, you get crap on a glove, it's a glove. And so you'll keep doing gloves. And so for me, I don't use gloves just for that same fact that if my hands are clean, my meat's clean. The gloves are going to, they're going to just, I don't know. That's just... What I learned from a lot of a lot of old timers is they're watching them use all these gloves, and I'm like, well, it's gross. Well, yeah, but it's a glove. And so I'm like, well, screw it. I'm not gonna wear gloves. You know, 
just for that. Yeah. What are your favorite knives for your butchering and then skinny? Uh, For skinning knives, I really like the silverware knives. They're out there. Um, Jeff Raleigh, who's a professional skateboarder, Mm -hmm. turned into Extreme Hunter and the number one sheep guide in the West, Mm -hmm. uh, created this knife. It's sort of like a Havilon knife. Yeah. um, But it doesn't fold into itself, so it doesn't get all gunked up with stuff. Okay. Um, And it fits better in the hand, and it's got a non-slip. It's absolutely incredible. Cool. And then uh, Victor Knox by uh, Swiss Army, I think, makes the best butcher knives they have. Which I'll just show you. Nice. People are going to watch. Might look intimidating. Okay. But this is my favorite style of butcher knife, the scimitar knife. It's a nine and a half inch scimitar knife by Victor Knox. I've got small ones that are six inches. I have bigger ones that are 12 inches. But this is that 10 inch. To me, that's my number one um, butcher knife. And then this is that silverware knife that I was talking about. So you can, okay. you can kind of see the grip of it. Yeah. Um, and so it fits a lot better in your hand, doesn't slip, and doesn't get all gunked up. Um, yeah, I like that. Critters. But I think if you're going for it, the Victor Knox, the Victor Knox are, are fairly inexpensive. Okay. You can, get a, you can get one for like 40 bucks. Um, they stay razor sharp. But it, it's intimidating at first because it's so long. Mm-hmm. But when you start to butcher down your animal and you realize that that straight cut down the back strap one time and the back strap's off versus yeah nicking and poking. And for me, being a photographer and a chef, it's all about presentation and cuts. Mm-hmm. And so it, sometimes I'll sit there looking at people and I'm like, Ugh, stop it because they're just hacking away at stuff. I'm like, yeah. one smooth cut makes it look completely beautiful on one side. So when you're, pres- you know, when you're presenting it, when you're taking a picture it's gorgeous and beautiful and it's not disgusting. So Victor Knox, uh, scimitar style blades, absolutely incredible. Those are great recommendations. Yeah. I'm going to be looking into those. I need a good butcher knife. Yeah. It's because <laughs> right not, now I'm currently the like slowly. You're the, the hacking, the, the hack and whack. <laughs> yeah. And it's not my proudest <clears throat> and moment. It's, what's funny too, is cause I've, you know, I take out new adult hunters every single year. Um, last year, I think it was like 75 new adult hunters during the pandemic. And I always pull out these blades and everyone's like, hmm, intimidated. And then after the end, I hand them a small blade. They're like, give me the big blade. Because yeah. even when you're even when you're taking off silver skin, it's like filleting out a fish. It's one long swoop and all the silver's off versus you sitting there hacking away at all the silver skin on the back of the backdraft or on the inner thighs. Uh, you can really break down muscle groups really easy with it. So Nice. I'll definitely be ordering those as soon as I get off this call. Yeah. And text me if you have any questions. <laughs> yeah, I will. That's awesome. So as we're rolling into here in Utah and a lot of other places, we're all getting ready to get into deer and elk season. What are some of your favorite recipes that you would recommend somebody trying? Hmm. The thing I saw about your website too is, you know, last night I was kind of just going through stocking it again real quick. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm completely redoing it. So like, I have like 200 recipes that that was my very first blog I made back in 2008. Wow. And so I just keep throwing recipes on there, but I'm, I'm yeah. going to have a whole new interactive. You can type in garlic and it'll pull up sort of like Pinterest, Perfect. pull up every recipe that yeah. has garlic in it. So nice. Yeah. Or potato starch. <laughs> you don't have any with potato starch. Perfect. Either. I like it. That'll be helpful. Yeah. Cody and I was like looking at stuff and, you know, he's kind of looking over me and he saw your, um, I guess like egg roll things. Oh, I have a lot and, of egg rolls on there. Or yeah. the, the Big Mac egg rolls, I think. Are the uh-huh. last thing. And he just like, yes. But you look at your pictures and, you know, obviously you come from a restaurant background and it all looks so beautiful. It looks like restaurant quality food. But then when I look at making it, this is what I loved about it is it's it's simple. It wasn't overwhelming and scary. Yeah, that was the biggest thing when I started this um, is 
my brother-in-law joked around and said that I was the Rachel Ray of the hunting industry because all my meals were... She's my favorite too, by the way. Oh, I, I mean, I've, I've actually written recipes for her, um, nice. which is awesome. She, But my thing was looking at it from this fact of the other wild game chefs out there are utilizing ingredients that you can't find at your local grocery mm-hmm. store. Now, talked about someone in the middle of Tennessee that all they have is the Walmart grocery store. That's the only grocery store they have. And you want them to go spend 40 bucks on black truffle oil for one ounce in a milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we had it in, in one of the restaurants. It was all recipes had to be under 10 steps um, from start to finish. And so that kind of stuck with me is where I'm a stay-at-home dad unless I'm out hunting. Like my wife, she is a career lady. She loves her career, works for the government, absolutely loves it. And so for me, I've got kids at home that I'm doing homeschool with. I, I'm, I'm that stay-at-home mom with yeah. a beard. Right. <laughs> and so how can I make meals that I can still do make an amazing dinner for my kids and get homework done and make sure that baths are taken. So that mom gets home. We're eating dinner. We can hang out and play as a family. And so that's kind of that angle I took at. And that's kind of where I wanted to make it kind of s- stupid, simple, where it doesn't have to be overthought. It doesn't have to be methodical. Sauces can taste amazing with two or three ingredients. The same teriyaki sauce that I can give you that has six ingredients. Mm-hmm. This, another guy is going to have that has 14 ingredients and most of them are going to cost you an arm and a leg where mm-hmm. the basic, you know, brown sugar, soy sauce, garlic, ginger, water, and cornstarch are going to make an absolutely incredible teriyaki sauce. You don't have to add all those, all those other crazy ingredients. Now I always tell everyone my recipes are a base. Mm-hmm. So if your family likes more stuff, add more stuff. Yeah. I don't care. Like, I did all the hard work of figuring out the basics of it. Like it's, it's like Legos. I mean, you have boys, you understand. (laughs) You get that box of Legos and there's a picture on there and there's an instruction book and you make that once that's done and get stepped on. Now it becomes this amazing world that you can sit there and recreate by using all the same pieces, Mm -hmm. by using the same mythology that they did. They took all the hard work out of it. Your kid's like, mm, I don't like this steering wheel here. I'm going to put it in the back. I didn't like this. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Mom, look Mom, look what I made. It's still a car. It still has all the same parts that, that the original car had, but it's their own creation. And I think that's the coolest part about recipes is you could take those egg rolls and be like, mm, our family's really not big on Thousand Island. We're really big on fry sauce because we're from Utah. So I'm going to take, yeah. take out the Thousand Island. I'm going to add in fry sauce. And look, do I care? Yeah. Absolutely not. There's a lot of chefs out there that I talk to who are like, this is my recipe. You do not change it. I have worked. I could care less. I mean, yeah. I put in most of the recipes. I put like three cloves of garlic. I'm putting 40 cloves of garlic because I'm an obsessed. I mean, I literally have an obsession with garlic, but I'm not going to put 40 cloves on there because you're gonna be like, oh, my gosh, that's too many. I'll put what I think is standard. Mm-hmm. And fix it, modify it, however you want. So back to the question, though. Recipes, I think it all depends on. I don't know. It's like picking a favorite kid. We all have one. We just don't want to. Let's say, say you're like new. Like you've never cooked with wild game before and your husband's got elk. I would say a, a good steak recipe is on my website, on my Instagram, saved in my Instagram stories is a, is a recipe called super juice. Um, super juice was a, just a basic marinade that I created. And my daughter said it was her super juice. And so that's kind of where the recipe stuck. Yeah. It's become my number one recipe for a lot of new people, and they use it on everything from duck, quail, pheasant, chucker to elk, moose, caribou. Um, it's got simple ingredients. It's got soy, Worcester, um, rosemary, thyme, cracked pepper, smoked paprika, and you just marinate that, and then you can grill it, 
you can put on this on the Traeger at 225 degrees until it reaches 145, 150 degrees. Mm-hmm. You can throw it in a cast iron skillet. You can put it in the oven, however you want to do it. But I think that base marinade is my go-to for when I have to cook for a lot of new people. Um, just for the fact that it's simple, it's packed full of flavor and everything in there. Remember all? Mm-hmm. Remember the very beginning of our conversation? I talked about flavors that will help balance out the yeah. wild flavor of an animal. Mm-hmm. All those things are in that marinade and it's a very balanced uh, part of that and so super juice i think it's it's if if i had to make that one meal for anybody it would be a beautifully cooked you know venison steak or moose steak or elk steak or whatever um with that marinade and then you know a side of garlic mash and you know making a red wine gravy or something like that nice yeah and i'll make sure we link that in the show notes so that people can definitely get through and get that but i just don't make poppers don't make poppers don't make poppers? No. I mean, you can make poppers, but everyone, that's all they want to do. They're like, oh, look, I have a new yeah. recipe for you. Let me tell you, it has cream cheese, jalapeno. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, weird. Um, really? I mean, if you're if you're doing a party, great. But that is always the first thing when you Google any type of wild game. It's like, make a popper. And I and I made a, for, I think it was for Vortex. Um, I made a popper steak is what I called it. So I took mm-hmm. a venison steak. Seasoned it real good, cast iron skilled it, but then I made a jalapeno and cream cheese or jalapeno bacon and cream cheese uh, cheese sauce for on top mm-hmm. of it. So now you had a meal, right? So you had mm-hmm. this beautiful cooked steak with that cream cheese, bacon, jalapeno, cream sauce on top. And so now when you're eating it, you get all the same flavors that you love, but you're actually eating a meal, not just like no. an overcooked piece of... Because yeah. by the time it takes to cook the bacon, your wild game is overcooked. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good idea too. Doing something like that. So you've mentioned your daughters a couple of times and you've been, your wife's not big on the hunting thing. She goes with you guys, does your adventures, but sounds like she's totally content staying back and reading a book. I get that some days. Definitely. <laughs> what has been, what has it been like introducing your daughters to the outdoors? Uh, I don't really think they had a choice. Um, <laughs> now they have a choice in if they want to continue, if they want to go out. But mm-hmm. I think for me, it was always, it's a part of who I am as a person. And so mm-hmm. as being their dad, it's, it's a part of being their dad. And so my wife, you know, let's see, September 8th is when my, is when my youngest was born. Well, September 1st is dove season. My wife was at the river with a week left to have a baby sitting in the trailer in the air conditioning while I was out shooting dove. Nice. Um, and I had our three-year-old out in the field with me picking, you know, running around and picking up birds just for that fact of like, this is who we are. And I remember the very first time I took out, it was the very first blog post I ever wrote. The very first, like, kind of what, what thrust me into getting a lot of traction. It was the first thing I had over, you know, 200,000 people read or review. And my youngest was four years old. And we were in the deer or out in the dove fields. And this dove comes flying over. She's like, Dad, 12 o'clock. And I turn around and I shoot the dove and it lands like one foot in front of us. It was just a perfect whoop. And she sits on the ground, she picks up this bird and she starts crying. And I'm like, oh no, like yeah. I ruined it. Like I now have a vegan, you know, like that's all these things going through my head. Like, gosh, this is, but as a dad, I'm sitting, I'm like, I got to fix this situation. I got to understand what's going on. And so we have 30 dudes out there, right? My daughter's the only girl out in the field. She's mm-hmm. four years old and all these guys are around us. They're shooting, they're shooting, they're shooting. And I put my, you know, put my safety on, put my gun down. And I go sit down in the dirt with my little daughter and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, I just, 
you know, it's dead, daddy, it's dead. And I'm like, it is dead. We had this long conversation about death um, with yeah. a four-year-old, which I think a lot of people don't ever do anymore. It's like, oh, we're not going to talk about death. Oh, it's too scary. It's too yeah. this, it's too that. And her and I had this conversation about where we don't kill to kill, we kill to eat. I said, you know, hey, what's your favorite meal that we cook with dove? She's like, teriyaki dove, dad. I love teriyaki dove. And I said, like, okay, well, 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 we're going to make this into a teriyaki dove. And she's like, well, one's not enough. You, you should probably shoot more. And she stood up and she put it in her, in her little bag and she's like, okay, dad, let's. And I think at that moment for her, she realized mm-hmm. it wasn't about what these other guys were out here doing where they're like, oh, I shot two. Oh, look at me. I'm... It was a dad and daughter going to mm-hmm. go home and cook dinner for a pregnant wife. Yeah. You know, and we went back and, and we made dinner and she helped me pluck every single bird and she helped me make the sauce and we throw them on the Traeger and she's all excited and we sit down and she's telling the story about the hunt. This bird right here, it, who knows if it was the bird. This is the one that I picked up first. And this is, you know, and I wanted to create and this four-year-old telling the story. And for me, that was that moment that kind of shifted my thought process. And when I started taking out adults, because if a kid who doesn't understand it can have this much joy, what about a parent that doesn't understand it? Because I think so often we're so caught up in taking our kids out or taking other people's kids out. Mm-hmm. If we don't get their parents involved or we don't get their older siblings involved, the kids aren't going to go. Yeah. You've never had, you, you've never had a 10 year old, your, your 10 year olds never got in the car, drove to Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's, <laughs> got out, spent a thousand dollars on new guns, ammo, drove back, said, Hey mom, I'm going hunting tomorrow and gets in the car and takes out. It's never happened. Yeah. But if dad goes, Hey Coop, you want to go to Bass Pro Shop? Yeah, dad, I want to go. Well, let's go buddy. Right. All of a sudden there's this bond there where mom says, Hey, let me show you how to put this hook on and throw a worm on and you become the best mom in the world. There's these ideas that happen. So if I can take out the parent, you're a first time hunter and I can make a recipe that gets you excited to go shoot a deer. i now mm-hmm. have a buy-in. I now have a, a drive. And so I treat, my kids as adults and I treat adults as kids and if I can treat the adults as kids and get them in that kid's mindset then I think I win and if I can take my child who people said she's a girl you know I get attacked I just I mean I think you commented too I got I had you know 298 direct messages in an hour about how kids and dogs shouldn't be in the field especially little girls boys are fine little girls aren't just blows my mind uh, and for me it's coming out at, at the haters with the respect yeah. And the the knowledge base that comes from it, but it's also telling my daughters like, I show my daughters those. I'm like, look at these comments, and they're like, why can't we go in the field, right? Because it's an empowerment to them. It's them yeah. saying, prove them wrong. You know, like my oldest, she's 11. She got her hunting license last year, and so she went out to shoot dove for the first time, missed every single one, didn't shoot one down at all. You ask her about that dove hunt, and it's like she killed every single one. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I blew the tail feathers out. If I would have let yeah. it this much more. Oh, and then the dog ran out and found dads. And not, not once does she say it was horrible because I missed. This year, she's already, we've already been taken out to the range and we're going out to the shooting range and she's, she's slaying the clays. And I'm like, dang it, man. She better not outshoot me. <laughs> um, but my, young, my youngest, she was born when I started from field to plate. Um, mm-hmm. So she's seven. So right when I quit my job, is kind of when she was a year old. So all her mind can think of is daddy being in this industry. Mm-hmm. And so for her, it's Christmas, how, you know, birthday, she wants duck calls and turkey calls. And she wants to come out. And I came home from turkey hunting and I bring my coolers in because I was up north. 
and I hear running downstairs, garage door open, and she comes running out. She doesn't even hug me. She runs straight to the coolers, rips it open, looks in them, slams it, and starts crying and runs upstairs. And I went, oh, my gosh. What the f- you're my hunter. Like, you're my yeah. little huntress. My wife's like, you better go up there. She is pissed. She's yelling <laughs> and screaming at you. So I walk up there. I'm like, June, what's wrong? And she goes, you plucked them without me. Plucking is my job. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? Uh, honey, I was 12 hours away. I had to get him home. Like, yeah. And so she was just sobbing. And so I remember she looked at me. She's like, but did you save the feathers? I was like, I saved all the feathers. She's like, okay, I'll forgive you this time. Because <laughs> she likes to do crafts and arts. and Yeah. But I think also looking at a kid that wants to go pluck a freaking turkey mm-hmm. that says something for raising them right and raising them for this. And I mean, I can, I can point to one of these skulls behind me and my daughters will tell you the story. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll tell you the story of that bear that is over there, the bear. Way, yeah. they'll, they'll tell you the story of that bear hunt and they'll tell you the meals we had and they'll tell you more than I can remember. That's um, my kids too. It blows my mind. Yeah. And I'm like, what? She's like, oh yeah, I saw the picture and blah, 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 blah. You dragged it this far. I was like, I never told you that. Oh no, but you were telling so-and-so on the phone and I heard you tell. And so I think once you raise these kids and especially daughters, I think it's easier for you to have a son. Mm-hmm. and get them out hunting because that's mm-hmm. what boys do, right? Yeah. Um, and it's okay to take boys to deer camp. And it's okay for boys to pee outside. And it's okay for the boys to want to wear real camo and not pink camo. Um, it's okay for that. But you take out a girl and all mm-hmm. of a sudden they can't pee outside. Well, yeah. my daughters can pee in a coffee can better than a boy can pee in a coffee can. Yep. True story. You know, they're they're quieter in the blinds. I've hunted with more females. I mean, I've taken out more females than males. And, and new adults, women are very, very methodical when it comes to mm-hmm. hunting. Guys are all about the kill. Yeah. Girls are all about what leads up to the kill and making a clean ethical shot. Now, I'm not saying that some guys aren't, but most women that I take out, their methodical mindset when they think through something mm-hmm. blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think women are better overall hunters than guys because of that mentality they have. And they have that more at peace. They can they can calm themselves down a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Guys are so full of adrenaline and testosterone that we're like, mm, got to be a man. Where when women miss, they miss, and they don't. Yeah. There's a lot less emotion when a woman misses than when a man misses. When a man misses, it's a lot of self. Oh, I'm horrible. The pride. Right. And when a and when a female misses, it's like, whew, what can I do better next time? Yeah. Hey, was my arm where it was supposed to be? Was my shoulder? Okay. So if I was to aim a little. Right. Their mind's always working. And so seeing two little girls work through that process, like when my daughter missed Dove, Daddy, what am I doing wrong? The, the guy next to me has a son who was born two days after my daughter. And his son's like, ah, I missed. I'm horrible. I'm... My daughter's going, Dad, how do, I, how, do, how do I shoot better? Well, put your legs a little farther apart. Okay, okay, okay. So she's, she literally, it's, not even, it's not, even, not even a joke, she drew lines in the dirt where her feet need to be so that she can go the same exact stance every single time. Well, that little boy was running around like a crazy maniac, just wanted to go shoot a dove. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it comes down to it was people say that girls can't do it. I'm like, the problem is we don't give the girls the, the lane to do it. We don't yeah. allow them to be girls in the field. We want them to be guys in the field. Definitely. And so as a, as a dad of daughters, I'm trying to figure out how can I let them be little girls in the field? How can I let them be women in the field? And yeah. looking at, you know, I've taken out a lot of females on Under Armour hunts and stuff like that and guided for them. And there's the women I can tell that grew up with a dad who loved them and made them into the hunters they are. 
And there's the girls who are huntresses who are in it for the looks, the likes and that kind of stuff. And the problem is, is the girls that are in it for the looks and the likes are the ones that our daughters are looking up to. Yeah. The ones that are doing it because their passion that they have for the outdoors. Our daughter, you know, they're not being given this limelight. Companies don't care about them because they're not pretty enough. They're not mm-hmm. strong enough. They're not, you know, they don't kill the biggest buck. Well, the only reason they kill the biggest buck is because their husband paid $100,000 for them to go hunt this buck. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. Or their husband shoots the deer for them and they pose in the picture. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? She's going to get a lot more sponsorships than this fat dude drinking, you know, bush light yeah. with the beard. Yeah, you know, I relate to that a lot in the fact of I drew a limited entry deer tag in the book cliffs in Utah. And that is like holy ground for mule deer. Right. My youngest, Rivers, was a year old. So it was like started off with the boys that we're putting in as a group because they had higher chances and they wouldn't they're like well like you don't have any points do a lower limits what i'm like all right piss off like put me in by myself i drew out which was like a good hoorah for me but then i drew out the, out this big tag and i realized i have a baby you know and it was one of those things where i look forward to going back and being able to do it again because it'll be a completely different hunt now that my kids are older but it was a very good eye-opener for my husband to see when he draws a tag. He knows the kids are watched. He can go put on a stock. He can go up to them and he can do it and he can put in all that time. But when my baby's still depending on mom to feed him and do all the things, it completely changes changes that because, you know, of of the timing and the what I have to put with a brand new baby. But it didn't take away from the fact, you know, in my head I was thinking I was going to get this monster of a mule deer and all these things but i had the prime opportunity with both my boys there to be able to get the deer harvest it have the meat and have those memories of the boys with us as i was able to draw back my bow and get it and you know i felt like after the fact there was a point a slight little point where it is the way that the world is in social media when i posted my picture of me with my book cliff deer and it's not this big old monster there was a point where i'm like you know what I am so damn proud of myself for the circumstances and what I did. And just because, you know, I had this hunt and just because I'm a female doesn't mean that I didn't didn't get a quote unquote trophy because those memories and that meat in itself was a trophy. But I do have to say, too, from a stance of a daughter of a man that raised her hunting, it is so awesome to see you doing that with your daughters because I'll tell you from my point of view being now I'm 32 years old I've done a couple hunts with my dad here and there but there's times where I've been by myself hiking miserable you get into those moments where you know it it's tough stuff is tough but I still every once in a while will hear the little things that my dad had said to me as a little girl like come on sis you got it you're doing good or just like a couple more steps or walk this way like when we're doing a sneak I can hear his voice telling me just the right way to place my feet and so I just want you to know I'm sure your daughters are going to carry those little tidbits that you sit and sprinkle in with them I think they'll hear their dad's voice one day as they're they're on their hunts I sure hope so I mean like I said that's I grew up with my dad in the bird field right Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to take my dad out on his first big game hunt and I always tell the story, you know, it still kind of gets me all choked up. As a kid, we're not supposed to do that, right? You're always supposed to have your dad take you out. And so to be able to take your dad out and experience mm-hmm. everything that a parent would experience, like 
telling him to breathe and calming him down yeah. and getting him set up. And, and so now I look at my daughters and it's funny because one of my oldest ones, her friend wanted to go hunting with us. So we went turkey hunting and I sort of like you were saying, like, just keep going. Right. We have a saying is pick, pick a spot and make it to that spot. Mm-hmm. So if you're hiking up a hill, pick a tree, Yep. make it to that tree, pick another point. You, even if it's a rock in front of you, just, you got to give yourself a drive and a will to get to the next spot. Right. Her friends crying and whining because we're hiking up this thing. In the back of behind me, I hear, "Just pick a spot, pick a tree, pick a rock." And I went, "All right." Like that's what I say to her, you know, because yeah, my yeah. dad told me when we were bird hunting, like we were walking and we're tired. Pick a spot, walk to that spot. I tell my daughter, "Pick a spot, walk to that spot." And then I hear her tell her friend, "Pick a spot." Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just I don't know. I look at something like that and I go, ah, "You can bash me all you want for being a dad who takes her daughter out. I really could care less." But I look at all these parents who sit at a soccer field with their kids and don't actually engage with their kids. Mm-hmm. They just sit there and watch their kid play soccer. And their kid has a coach and their kid has everything else. And they're a part of the game, but they're not actually a part of that kid's life in that area, right? Mm-hmm. Sitting in the stands is completely different than being there with you. Mm-hmm. And so people always ask, like, hey, why don't your daughters play sports? It's not that my daughters can't play sports. It's that... Sports take place during hunting season. Yeah. And my daughters would rather be out walking the fields and hiking and fishing and hunting and collecting rocks and, you know, flicking bugs and doing everything else that a kid can do, especially in Southern California where we're looked at as, you know, devils um, out here because, you know, hunting is very anti. You know, I opened up my garage door and I was like, oh, murder. and so it's just one of these deals that I really look at it. And so I appreciate you talking about it because I think so often females still, they could care less about, they always say they, that they care about the younger girls, but in all reality, all they really do is care about their look to the younger girls and not really what the younger girls, like, I don't know. There's, there's, well, there's women in the industry that I look at that I, I don't want my daughters to look up to. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. women in the industry that I'm like, Hey, check out this girl. They're like, yeah, yeah. There's nobody. I'm like, but look at what she's doing and look yeah. at the family she's raising. Look at she, she's out there killing. You know, she's posting a picture of a forky and loving it. Yeah. That needs to be you. You know, my first buck was a little fork. And I remember it was the best buck ever. And I've been blessed to, you know, hunt all over and kill a bunch of different cr- critters. But I'd go shoot a doe over a buck any day just for the fact that you still get all the same emotion. But there's no judgment. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah. competition. Some of our best hunts are not the quote like the quote-unquote trophy animals right and it is it's kind of a catch-22 because growing up when i was growing up i was trying to be fit into men's camel clothes there was no girl stuff nothing was made for females and so i was always like definitely the odd man out in this situation but now like you say it is hard because it's great there's more female doing it but now you've got to kind of try and help them find the correct I guess what role model as well. Yeah. And again, I think being somebody within the industry and knowing a lot of these females on a personal level, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know. I'm not going to bash any of them because they're all amazing women. Yeah. But they all do have their desires and wants. And for me, I've said it from the beginning, I have no desire to become famous. I have no mm-hmm. desire to be anything other than a dad, a husband, and a role model to people who want to just do it a different way. And want to yeah. be a part of it. And, you know, yeah, I've gotten a lot of films and I've got to do a lot of cool things. But in, when it comes down to it, when I go home, 
I want my daughters to look at me and feel respected and feel honored and feel loved. And if I can't come home and have them look at me the way that I want to look at myself, then I'm not going to do it. And I've turned down huge paychecks from companies um, that I just look at and say, I can't be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I get told I'm an idiot by a lot of people in the industry. I get the companies are like, dude, but here's the check. Look at all the zeros. And I'm like, doesn't matter. Yeah. At the end of the day, if my daughters and wife don't respect me, I could care less. If social media ended today, whatever. Like 100%. I'm still, I'm still going to go antelope hunting on October 1st. I'm still going to go take my daughters out to the river and fish and hunt dove September 1st. Yeah. Like nothing changes for me. Once and I, but you look at all these people, and it's like if social media ended, what would happen to your life? Mm-hmm. For me, I care less. I'll I'll go out and hunt deer with you, and we'll go have fun in Utah, and yeah, I'll make fun of Utahards and fry sauce, and we'll have a good time. <laughs> we'll go to Strawberry Reservoir. We'll go to Strawberry Reservoir and yes. go fishing, and and we'll have For a good sure. time because of the fact that I think there's this different mentality that comes from it. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a female and you want to be beautiful and portray yourself beautifully and wear bikinis while you're fishing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to empower you to do that because I think that is, it's huge and you shouldn't be body shamed in any way, negative Mm -hmm. or positive. If you're a, if you're a beautiful, voluptuous woman and you want to do the same thing, I'm going to support you. It's when you do it in a way that is disrespectful to yourself and disrespectful to the other women that are there. That's where I'm going to look at at hindrance. Um, But I've got female in, you know, in this, in this industry that are some of my best friends in the world. And I look at them and they post stuff and I'll post them like, hey, sister. She's like, yeah, I'm going to take that down. Yeah. Because of the fact that I can sit there and say, hey, this isn't who you're portraying to be. Um, and and they're like, you're right. You know, I don't want to be like that. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's huge. And I think don't don't get me wrong when I say all women, because I don't think it is. Um, no. But I do think there are those few that you're just like, gosh, why don't you just go pose for another company? Right. And be, and be an influencer for another company. And they're still posting the same deer that they that they killed three years ago. No, I agree. Photoshopping out logos. Yeah. Which I've seen a lot of people do. Wow. Yeah, I'm like, you know, there's a time growing up that was like what, what, there wasn't very many females in the hunting space growing up, especially, you know, I think you had, back what, in the like, 90s and 2000. You, you had like Jules McQueen. Mm-hmm. You had... That's really, like when Lee and Tiffany and when Tiffany yeah, was Lee and Tiffany, I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Because right. finally I started coming out. But even before then, it was like the only time you saw some kind of female being promoted for a long time was your creepy uncle's garage calendar. And that's that's the kind of stuff, distasteful stuff that unfortunately you come across on Instagram. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. So that's why I stick to. I mean, I don't really follow, like, the only people I've ever blocked on any social media are hunters. I've never blocked a vegan, yeah. vegetarian, or anti, nice. but it's when the disrespect comes from hunters to other hunters. I'm like, dude, you're, see ya. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a lot of flack for that from a lot of people. They're like, well, dude, you blocked me. I was like, because you're disrespectful. Yeah. And you're disgusting and you're rude and you're violent and you're, mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, I think when you look at these, some of these people who just want to do it for the, the likes and love of that stupid show, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, I think yeah. it gives us a bad name as hunters and anglers. It as does. females and males. It mm-hmm. puts a macho stereotype onto me, which in all reality, I'm a crybaby. I mean, I've, <laughs> cried, I've cried more times on camera on huntings than all the yoga, the video guy, like crying. I go, shut up. Yeah, um, so, 
but I think it's huge. And I think that you being a female who's interviewing other people than just females and talking from a, from a standpoint of a mother and a campfire, I think it's huge. And I, I, I hope it, it goes well. And I hope that you continue to be a part of that and outshoot your husband. Well, that's what it's all about. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I do. I, I hope that I can provide a space for people that want to get into it and, you know, for other mothers and families, because that's where we've bonded the most as a family. I can't imagine not being able to go out and experience outdoors, not only by myself, but with my kids and my husband. So that's what I'm hoping we can bring around. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Do you have anything yeah. exciting coming up? That you can well, tell I'm us working about? on a, this year I did a uh, culinary grand slam with a buddy of mine, uh, Tony Caggiano for NWTF. Okay. Um, so we went out and we shot the whole uh, slam of turkeys in two and a half weeks, but we came at it from a culinary perspective. Nice. And so I'm working on editing those films and those films will be up in October through NWTF and some other stuff. So it's kind of cool because everyone loves watching turkeys die, but it's yeah. kind of cool to watch turkeys get cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and the areas we went into, we talked to different people within those areas that don't ever get talked to. Um, and we used ingredients that most people wouldn't use on wild turkeys. And so I think that's kind of fun. I'm working on a bunch of, I'm working on getting my YouTube up. Um, it's always fun, but no, I'm just balls coming up and my schedule is packed of just taking new people out hunting. Um, I think we got like 30 new people going dove hunting with us this year. Right on. Um, all adults. So it's going to be a lot of fun. My dog's going to have a lot of fun running out and getting birds, but Perfect. Um, I don't know. It's just a, I'm glad the pandemic's dying so we can start getting back to living. So definitely right on. Cool. Well, we're excited to see your adventures. Where can everybody find you and find your recipes? Yeah, it's really easy from field to plate um, on a, on all social media. So okay. Instagram, Facebook, from field to plate.com. Again, I'm working on a whole new website. Um, when that's done, it's going to be super interactive and cool. Um, and if you're on Twitter, it's from field, the number two plate, because it's too many characters. Mm-hmm. Pinterest, same thing, from field to plate. Go on there, look at recipes that people are pinning. Uh, pin the ones you find that you like. If you have a, if you have a recipe idea and you just don't know how to work through it, shoot me a, a direct message on anything. I'm 100% you know, response rate on all that stuff. Uh, and I'll create a recipe. I probably already have it done, just haven't posted it yet. So awesome. don't, 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 don't feel shy. Or if I, if I don't know the answer, I'll ask someone who does. Right on. Well, thank you so much for being such a great resource and hopefully we can get you on again soon. Yeah, sure we're going to have all, all kinds of more questions. As always, please don't forget to subscribe. Give us a five-star rate interview. It seriously helps us more than you know. You can follow me on Instagram at Brittany.long or at The Reckoning Podcast. Tune in next week.